you're going to be set up for failure as a product manager if you are in an environment that is not truly agile and or you are working towards something that you don't understand. Um, it's I, I think I put this in the comment, like it has become such a buzzword. If we took a poll with a group of uh, you know, product leaders at any given organization, I have a, a, a hunch that each person is going to give you a wildly different definition of what agile is. Um, but I'd be even more curious to hear them say what agile is not. Um, so, I mean, that's really just the foundation of, of being set up for success is understanding what it is yep. um, and actually practicing it. Product Growth Leaders proudly presents Product Conversations. I'm Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. On a weekly basis, we explore product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here for another Product Growth Leaders Conversation. Steve, we had an amazing conversation last week about market discovery, more about doing market discovery. It was such a good conversation, conversation with such a good panel uh, that we, I made the audible that we, I, we didn't get to my, my, my Friday question. The Friday question was about how do we, if market discovery is so good and valuable, how do we get the whole organization in it? it <laughs> You know, we work with a lot of clients and it just amazes me how many people aren't doing market discovery. True. Uh, and yet, when I ask their leadership, you know, how confident are you in your market information? They go, oh, no, we, we don't know hardly anything about the market. We know about the last two deals we worked, but we don't have statistically valid market information. So they're aware it's a problem. I think maybe the issue is they don't know who should own it. And I'll give you a hint, it's not sales. No, it's not. Uh, and so I just, this was a question I wanted to get to. And, and this is the question we put into the community on Monday, but we didn't get to it last week. So I, I, I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like it's, a vital conversation that needs to be had because too many companies are not doing market discovery. You're not doing it right or well. And so how do we start helping, you know, evangelize how and to understand that we needed to answer this question. The question we put in the, in the community on Monday was how to get your organization, leadership, sales, everyone to understand the value of market discovery. Right. So we get it. We're, we, we, you know, how I look at the faces in this call and I see some of the, the, the profits, right? The people who are always out there talking about the value of it. But how do we get the organization to get on board and understand it? And so we put this question on Monday. And, you know, between Danielle and May, I feel like we should just have a full publishing operation with lists. Each of them comes through with, you know, what I find is really valuable uh, lists. So, Danielle, you said this has been a struggle in many organizations you've worked with, uh, and you introduced a framework, starting with a story, qualitative feedback. So your view for this, if, if in my opinion, is 
you need to show people, right? It's not just tell them, you got to show them that. Talk to me about where your head is. And yeah. I know it's on your. <laughs> um, on my shoulders, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so when I think the first thing that doesn't necessarily get enough emphasis or attention is as a product person, you have to be such a strong advocate and an evangelist for whatever it is that you do. Like your job is to get people excited and on board with it and create that momentum. Um, so the first thing to do is, is be able to tell the story, uh, tell the story to your organization. Doesn't, right. It doesn't have to be everybody under the sun, but your key leaders who are going to help support a lot of your efforts, um, tell that story really well and get other people excited. Um, leading into that story, there are a couple of things that can be super helpful. Um, you know, money talks and data speaks. Mm -hmm. And so bringing in various data points is also really critical. Why, you know, what led you, you know, if people aren't going to take you at your word saying, hey, we need to do market discovery, then what led you to think that we should be doing market discovery? So have you seen commentary somewhere? Have you noticed data points that don't necessarily line up with the expectations? Start bringing in various sources and use that as your supporting evidence. Um, I think that's really important because especially if you're part of an organization where trust hasn't necessarily been fully built up yet, you're providing different pieces that can help prove and support uh, your hypothesis um, or you know your request has some sort of backing to it. Um, you're not necessarily going in blindly and asking for you know a big budget or time or something like that. Uh, you do have something behind it. Mm -hmm. um, once you have that, those data points, I think one of the most compelling things you can do is partner with other folks uh, in different cross-functional departments to help really drill down into some of that data and tell a story about either the cost um, savings, the opportunity cost, or something that's maybe not easily <laughs> able to be quantified, but something that you can quantify. And not only do you have a better and stronger case, now you have an ally somewhere else in the business who has some skin in the game. Um, that is probably one of the most powerful things you can do is start forming those relationships too, because then you've got multiple, multiple voices advocating for market discovery or looking into things further. Um, after that, start talking about what it is you need to do. Um, you know, who do you need to reach? How are you going to go after them? Um, you know, what is the design or the focus of your discovery? And provide a couple different options. So you could go full-fledged, right? If money, time, and resourcing wasn't an issue, what would like the ultimate version of that look like? But then scale it down a little bit too, in case you do meet resistance and have to make some concessions that gives folks options, um, especially if an organization is a little bit more risk averse in terms of giving that runway. Um, and I know, I think, Saeed, I think you said this last week that the small wins lead to bigger wins. And so if you can even do a very small scale version of that discovery and come back with some findings and say, here's what we found, here's the synthesis of this information, and here's how we should action on it, 
that's going to lead you into bigger and better opportunities, larger scale discovery, and more buy-in from the organization. Um, and then that's such a that's such a great point, right? Sometimes we just need to, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time, as as a former mentor of mine said, right? You can't. You said, sometimes you have to do a little bit at a time and gain that support. Yep. And then the last thing is just don't undersell the importance and value of what you're doing. Even if you're doing a small, you know, scale discovery effort, the findings of that are going to lead, you know, to big changes that are going to have impact. And so keep telling those stories and keep reminding the organization of what you did and why it was valuable. And eventually it's going to be become sticky with them. No, I, I, I love it. And, and, you know, I love how you started with sort of how do you get people on board the stories, show them, share with them, bring them quotes, bring them along with you. And then how do you then make it repeatable? Uh, sort of a nice way to do that. May, you said you wanted to talk about the flow of cross-functional research, but you also said you had a zero stage. Work with what you have. So I, I like that because sometimes we have to make decisions even before we go through this process. Um, so I think a lot of people's like a lot of people spend time trying to convince people to do research and um let's talk i i didn't write about this but i think we should think about the classical notion of what research is right um when you say the word research half the time it's either something that like you know you google once and then pretend like you found the answer or it's something that, you know, seven postdocs spent 30 years of their life researching. Mm -hmm. um, so they're like, that, that is kind of what people think of the two extremes when you talk about research. And so when you say you want to research projects, it's like, when you say research, when you say research, they probably assume the first one. But when you say research project, they naturally assume the ex extremely expensive thing. Um, so trying to get buy-in requires kind of explaining what that means but also yep. not even just buy-in it's like most people are like yeah we do need to know more if we say if you say instead of saying research you say let's go find out more let's take three days between three days with like someone from each team and let's go and figure out learn more about the thing we're trying to solve you're going to get very different results um, from responses, right? Uh, but really, it's important to say you have to work with what you have. Um, you, yes, access to users might be difficult. You're not going to have a fully fledged system like now. You need to do that research. You need to show that this time that you've allocated is uh, productive. Yeah. <laughs> Steve had just recommended, I'm in the process of reading The Right It. Is that the right name, Steve? And, you know, some really interesting insight there on research projects, right? And how sometimes we spend a ton of money and because we spend a ton of money, we, we use, feel that we validated what we needed to, even though we never got the really right answers. Uh, you know, I think figuring the right projects out and the right way to do it is, gonna, is such a critical uh, uh, thing. Uh, so thank you, May. Uh, Dominic. To get the entire organization to understand the value and importance of market discovery, we as product management, product managers need to effectively communicate the impacts of benefits 
it brings the customers in the business. So you're going straight to the value profile, right? What value, what value does this, does this discovery help do to help the customer to help our company? And, and, and just to add to Danielle and, and May's point here is during the storytelling, I, I think showing the impact of not doing it is important, right? Tr trying to find ways of demonstrating that the, um, uh, we didn't get such and such benefits because we didn't, we couldn't, you know, make it happen or, um, there was uh, inadequate, you know, uh, capabilities to, to do this. So I, I think it's important to showcase, uh, and if it's not internal, right. Uh, maybe find examples from external sources as well, but it, it's, I, I think it's important for the, the storytelling. It's storytelling. And I think that storytelling is critical. So it seems like we're seeing a lot of people say the same thing, right? Some you to show the value, you need to tell stories, show data, bring them along, and educate the organization, right? I mean, to May's point, I mean, it's 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 a process, right? And it's it's uh, it's going to take time. Yeah, I, Clay, I want to go to what you just put in the chat because I think that that's an interesting concept: minimal viable discovery. Well, well, I'm going to back up really quickly it, uh, to something else I put in there. I think there's two phases we're talking about. One is getting them started on any discovery. And the second one is trying to get them to do more discovery. And I think those are different problems. Um, so, and, and minimal viable discovery was the solution to the first problem, which is if they're not doing any discovery, how do we go in and get them to at least commit a little bit? Kind of like May was saying, this is a pilot, or uh, somebody said, you know, throw three days at it or something like that. I also had another thought. What if we, so, so I'm kind of thinking about what if the, I, I'm, the more, to me, the more interesting problem is if the company doesn't want, hasn't done any discovery and doesn't seem to want to, or isn't doing it, how do you get them started on it? Because if you can just do one, right, then hopefully, then you go to stage two, which is, okay, you've done it. You show them the value and they go, great, rinse, lather, repeat, let's do it again. So one thought is, what if you went to sales and you interviewed the salespeople and said, tell me about things customers are asking for that we don't have, and tell me about things that you feel like if you could magically trade them away, you'd say, great, if we hadn't built A, but we had built E, that would be wonderful. And that gives you, you know, if you talk to enough salespeople about enough and do it over a few weeks, a few sales, you might be able to come back and say, hey, here's where this affected us. This is the feedback loop, right? So, so we're talking we about to... federated conjoint analysis <laughs> through sales. Is there an acronym for that? Well, FCA. Is that part know. of the conjoined triangles from <laughs> Silicon Valley? No, conjoint analysis is actually a great tool when you're doing those trade-off type things. Yeah. Uh, but, I, and maybe... I'm going to channel my inner Steve. I don't know. I'm not sure I, I would trust the salespeople. And, and if you, and if you look through the right, it, if you go, if you listen, if you read the mom test, right. Often people tell us what they think we yeah. want to hear. You'd and have so, to really drill down and ask yeah. them in the right way and ask them on multiple deals. Cause of course they're fixated on just the current deal, yeah. but, it, yeah. but, but the beauty is it, the data is there and it might be worth a couple of hours to see what's there. No, I, but I actually believe that we should be as product managers 
talking to everybody in the organization who's customer facing to gain their insight. Uh, I'm probably not going to ask them what the recommendations are. I'm going to ask them what they're hearing. When I was at GE and at some other places, we actually built programs. You know, GE had a thing they called a quick market intelligence call, which was how do we get all the salespeople on a call once a week just to hear what barriers they're seeing, what they're doing. And we could, that was a great sort of yeah. get that visceral feedback of what's coming in. But, you know, customer support, I've mentioned this many times on this call, Rita McGrath in seeing around corners talks about how ice and snow melts at the edges and we need to make sure we're at the edges or talking to people who are at the edges. So completely and totally get that. Uh, Saeed, you, uh, you uh, had an issue with the, the term minimal viable or is that just? I just, yeah, I, well, I have lots of issues. Uh, that's one of them, but we, we don't have to get into that right now. Um, okay. I, I just, I, I had that image from another, <laughs> I just thought I'd share it here. That's all. There's no, no implication of, of judgment or anything. For, for uh, those listening or are watching the video, Saeed put in the chat, uh, the meme, one does not simply put minimal viable in front of any word. So, uh, probably to the minimal viable discovery. <laughs> Clint, I think you're on mute, and I wanted to get to your uh, your answer. You, you said your your initial areas of feedback were covered by Wes's point, and Wes had talked about how we need to really realize that market discoverer is where we uncover unknowns and validate knowns, and we have to communicate about that. And then also uh, what Jason had talked about was sometimes going with sales. So I'd love to get your take on this and you you brought a great thing of what I, I see and it was sort of alluded to earlier getting engineering to come along with you because it's very valuable for them to see in process yeah so uh absolutely agree with what everybody has said um a little bit nervous about trusting sales a lot of times you know sales has one thing in their mind that's their own interest in their paycheck a lot of times so they try to avoid any type of hey we don't have these features so and sometimes they just don't know but Certainly, if you're with them, then you can open up that discussion and and really get the customer to open up. And I find that bringing engineering along is absolutely key. And actually, the interview I just came from today was for uh, uh, you know product management position relative to identifying new roadmaps. And you know it was all about and I and I brought up the fact about this call and the fact that we've been talking about discovery and uh, as a relevant topic. And uh, the VP that I was talking to was all about that you have to be in the field. He was a, just a, such a firm believer. And I talked about, you know, who is the audience? Who do you bring out? And I said, you know, if I'm going to go out, I feel that engineering is critical to bring. And he was like, absolutely. So it just kind of reinforced some of the topics and discussions that we had today. And I just thought it was so topical that I brought it up with him during the interview process. And he was wholeheartedly saying absolutely it's such a critical critical point and he feels that you know you have to be out in front of your customers in order to get a better understanding for not only you know product enhancements but if you're really looking at going to do a, like a, a new platform and i think discovery really is also the, the level and depth that you have to do if you're doing a product extension is one thing versus if you're looking at a brand new platform, it's an entirely different process and you need to go much deeper versus just doing an extension on an existing product. 
I, I think that's, I mean, if we talk, we've talked about this before, how product management is a risk management role. And, you know, back to Wes's known knowns and unknowns, we need to really, if there's an unknown, a new platform, a new market, a new product has more unknowns than knowns. And, and it's so critical to do that. I'm just flattered that our topic of the week conversations has made it into somebody's interview. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm a little, uh, you know, joyed right now for that. That's, that's so awesome. And maybe the answer to the, the question, how do you get an organization to understand the value of market discovery is actually get hired by one that does get it. Right. So you yeah. don't need to do it. You, you find ones that do and you, and, and you go there. Uh, DJ Daly. The one, other, the, oh, the one other thing, though, that I would like to add is that, you know, one of the things that it's typically a little bit more difficult to do, but it's to get access to competitive equipment um, and going out and doing discovery on a competitor's piece of equipment is also great because it gives you a different perspective from a non-customer, not your customer. But, you know, what are they, you know, what are their value propositions? What do they like? What do they don't like? So a lot of times you also learn from a competitor's product what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. And that can also help you in your own discovery, ask different questions relative to the customers that you're going out to. No, completely. I mean, win-loss interviews are part of that. And you need to talk to competitors. Things I always loved it. And it, multiple times it happened where I had a customer who had both our product and the competitor's product. And when we went out there, we were like, hey, can you walk me through some stuff? And sometimes like, oh, I don't want to do that. They're your competitor. Sometimes it would open up. I mean, I've, you know, I've even had people share their whole grading sheets from, you know, uh, decisions, right? And show us everything they thought. So that's a great point on the competitors. DJ, I know you from starting as a market research person with us, you know, 12, 13 years ago, you know. You get it. You started in sales. So, you know, no, no, no blasphemy to that. But as you've grown in your product management career, how do you help people understand the importance of market discovery? Yeah, well, before I dive into that, I just want to kind of uh, add some some thoughts to the conversation we've had. So I've heard, you know, talking about sales and support, like typically in in my product career, the tip of the spear for me is usually starting with customer success or customer support. Um, and to me, because they often serve as like the proxy of voice of the customer, um, because, you know, when I was doing complete redesigns of existing platforms or discovery for potentially new opportunities, I would often start with them um, because they're with the customer day in and day out, helping them navigate the, the platform. And so I've found in my experience that they are often more so than sales, uh, again, because sales is incentivized um, a particular way. Um, that, that CS for me is often good. Um, yeah. We've also talked about you know, bringing engineering along. I consider, at least again, in my experience, like engineering is nice to have. And so when we have the triad of product design and, and engineering, for me, design is a must in those conversations. Engineering is a nice to have especially mm -hmm. when it comes to customer. Now, I think, you know, we can, we can all paint with a broad brush in terms of uh, personality styles of folks in engineering. If you can get them to come along and they're open and they can have those conversations with, with um, the customer, again, great to have, but I would, I would treat design as a must to have. Um, but so coming back to your original question of like, you know, how do we get folks to, to, to buy into market research? Um, 
a lot of great comments. I didn't feel like I had anything material to add to it. I would just say like two things. One, I put in the chat, like telling that story of what's in it for me, like we're salespeople as well in our roles. And so communicating to them the benefit of, uh, you know, we have a hypothesis, they have a hypothesis and what might we able to tease out of that from market discovery. Um, and, you know, I was thinking um, Denny Joya from Smeal um, he always told us, and it always rings true, it's like what gets rewarded gets done. And so if we can frame that context there, then that's the best way to get buy-in. So yeah, it's been my experience. So for context, DJ and I both have our MBAs from Penn State's Smeal School of Business. That's, we, we met through that. Denny Joy was a marketing professor, uh, really, really great uh, professor. Uh, and a couple of things. Well, first, DJ, I just realized I need to have you take the notes and write up the summary blog for this because it seems like you're doing a really good job, you know, hitting some of those key things. As for engineers, I understand where you're going with that. Where I would say is there's sometimes if engineers are resist or it's a not invented here, they think they know it all. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to bring them out because that's when I think that they become a great, it helps change their perspective and their lens. So. Of course, and I think what I would say is um, discovery market research always gets in front of them. It's I think it's a matter of like, what is that venue or what's yeah. that mechanism? And for me, I found some engineers, again, prefer and like to be in customer facing. Others prefer not to. And at which point design and product then serves as proxy voice of the customer. And yeah. so it's our job to reflect the voice of the customer whether it's in writing or clips of the interviews or whatever it might be, right, uh, to to present that that information back to, to engineering. Yeah, I uh, completely, totally agree. Uh, Dutch. Yeah. Um, so I always remind people that we're not building the product for ourselves. I mean, the, the whole intent is to build it for the market, build it for people who are going to use it. And how many of us, uh, the old phrase of eat your own dog food. How many of us are using our own product? Uh, we, we know what it does, what it's intended to do, but do we actually know how other people want to use it? Uh, there was one company I was with that had a portfolio of a bunch of different products. Uh, been around for years. They were looking to update things, you know, make it more cloud-based or cloud-native. Uh, I went out and talked with people, shoulder surfed, went through their process. They showed me how they were using it. Uh, turned out that they were doing some things in one product and then taking data, putting it in Excel, doing calculations and taking the answers and putting it in a different product. As opposed to just having the products talk to each other, there was this whole manual process that they were doing. So obviously the first time around when that those products were built, they didn't see how people were using it and going out and getting a fresh view, uh, we were able to identify a shortcoming that we were able to then resolve and eliminate that manual process. Um, because those things have been around for years, the company thought, well, hey, we know what it needs to do, but it turned out that they didn't. They weren't, they weren't the experts they thought they were. Two products from the same company, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting because I've seen a lot of companies do that next gen platform and too often they just go based on what they built, what the functions were, yep. and not yeah, understanding how things change. You have to go back and truly rebuild the 
problem stories and the you in the scenarios and that type of stuff completely because there's new there's new problems there's new issues there's new technology that's available to solve things in a different way yeah than than what was before no completely i love i love that touch saeed i mean you and i talk regularly and we've been doing market discovery on some stuff you know when you're working with your clients when you're talking to people how do you help them understand the importance of this um yeah it's so i i i don't look at it like market discovery it's sort of like hey it's important to you know clean your hands like why like what 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 what's the what's the result of that why why should we do it so i i i i talk about evidence i talk about decisions and so what evidence did you have for that and i was actually in a conversation earlier this week and we were talking about some trends in the market or something. And the product manager was, was predicating a lot of his statements with, I believe, or I'm assuming, or, you know, these sort of, and he wasn't, I mean, you know, he was just speaking the truth. He didn't have the facts. And so we made a list of, okay, every one of the assumptions, what do we need to find out? And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think like a lot of the work that happens is, is, based on that kind of thinking like you know they have some knowledge but it's not really great and so okay how do we get better evidence better knowledge and and that's that's the way i try and approach it right like it's not like the word discovery itself has implications and not everyone interprets it the same way you know i i i I used to say research and then everyone started using discovery i'm like what what word is that why why, what's wrong with research but you know like you you think about it from different ways so I think I think really just starting tactically, it's what it's what you know Danielle mentioned, small wins, getting people accustomed to, yeah, it's okay to not know something and then go find out, right? It's not that we have to have the answers already. Um, and then and then using that as 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 ways to make better decisions, you know, win arguments, right? depending yeah. depending on the culture. You know, there's that line, uh, John, whoever it was the intel ceo andy grove or whoever yeah. i don't know who it's attributed to but you know like if we're, if we're basing things on opinion we'll use mine right otherwise you know we'll use data um, that was jim barksdale at net oh, barksdale okay okay yeah, yeah. and everybody so, has an opinion right everyone has yeah. an opinion everyone is going to come with something to the table and so what's our data to to make our decisions right and you can't outsource that. You can't go, oh, well, we're going to base our decisions on their data and their, because they're doing things from their perspective. They're not talking to customers the way we need to talk to, to customers in the market, right? Yeah. Um, so so I think, I think you know, fundamentally, the way I look at it is like, what value are you bringing to the table as a product team if you don't have an independent, well-understood set of data to make decisions, right? Because if if you're going to outsource it to sales and just go, hey, like turn into a, a you know a, a contract shop, we're just going to do whatever sales says because we don't have the discipline to actually come to table with data. And and, and, that, and that's qualitative data and quantitative data. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I worked in companies where there were very aggressive engineering. Uh, leaders and they were like, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, I, I learned very quickly, like, I can't come with opinion. I got to come with facts and I would come with lots. Like it was, I mean, it was a battle, right? It was like, well, you know, you talk to three customers, I talk to 30. You tell me, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? 
who's got better data if you got better data bring it to the table and you know you have to stand up for it and you have to say this is what we're doing this is why and i'm open you know it's like come back with 30 data points yourself and then we'll talk so and now I, we've got 60 data points and we can make a better decision with absolutely. all of that Absolutely. I'm imagining Crocodile Dundee saying, that's not a research sample. This is a research sample. <laughs> that's right. I yeah. wasn't going to go Crocodile Dundee there. I was looking for the right, you know, I was thinking something else, but I, I'll let you take that one, Clay, with Crocodile Dundee. And, and you know, one last thing, if you don't have your own data, right, then you're you're the waiter, right? You're just taking orders, right? You're just like, well, tell me what you want. and and What and, you really, really want? Yeah. Well, they won't tell, tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you've devalued your position and you've lost credibility. And and then and then where's the leaders? I always wonder where's the product leaders of this? Like, okay, it's one thing for product managers and so on, but you're a VP or whatever. Like, why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you making this part of the culture? Like I always, every time a product management dysfunction comes up, my first question is where the hell is the leader? What do they do? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, I think it, continues to going back to that, right? A lot of the issues we have are lack of corporate leadership and understanding uh, the value of product and lack of product leadership and evangelizing for it and doing the right stuff. So uh, yeah, I completely agree, Saeed. Steve, I, I wanna give you a chance to, if there's any other comments before we get there. The first question we had is, Yan Tu, wasn't that the guy from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> uh, maybe so. But Yen Tu is not a uh, foreign word. It's uh, an acronym for "you are not the user." <clears throat> yep. But you know, I'm you know to to Saeed's point. Uh, in my first job in product management, my boss said, "We are um, sales driven." You know, sales guys are coming in to you know uh, to the product manager and saying, "Please take out your order pad and and take my ticket." And sometimes they were asking for, you know, spaghetti with motor oil. And you're like, well, you know, that's actually not good for you. Uh, but he said, you know, we don't have any credibility because no one in product management has ever left the building. And, and that is the source of uh, the longstanding phrase I used at Pragmatic of Nahito. You know, nothing important happens in the office. And yet so many product managers have never left the office. And now never leave their houses, you know, because we've got Zoom. But anyway, my boss said, here's the deal. Uh, we, I've got some bonus money available. Uh, and your bonus is going to be based on you visiting 10 customers between now and bonus time. So 10, 10 customer visits documented uh, it, uh, equals your bonus. And the funniest thing happened. My wife suddenly got involved in the bonus program. She's like, have we made our own, <laughs> you know, because baby needs new shoes, right? Uh, but suddenly I'm going to meetings and they go, well, so-and-so, you know, uh, uh, you know, an engineer says, well, you know, here's, here's what I think. And I go, well, you know, let me share with you what JP, uh, the CIO of JP Morgan Chase told me yesterday. And suddenly everybody in the room is listening because I've got, I've got data, I've got stories, and I've got real names to put to them. And not just I talked to a guy or two of us were drunk in a bar one day and decided it would be good if we or I read a, you know, an airline magazine. Uh, I, I, I became the voice of the market. I love it. Uh, that's great. And we're going to for time. I'm going to I normally say anybody else, but we're not going to we're going to go uh, to our 
uh, poll. The poll question was, where does market discovery provide the most value? If we're trying to communicate to the organization the value of market discovery, where does it provide the most value? Our options were finding new problems to solve, better understanding of what customers value, providing context to the entire organization, and insight to help prioritize and focus. Uh, and it was a two answer race. And we had no other it depend, which was, that's odd because normally at least somebody does it just to be a contrarian. Uh, but nobody was there. Jason Vincelet, I, 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 we got to get him back on the call. I miss him. Uh, finding new problems to solve 10%. Uh, I went with providing context to the entire organization 10%. And I'll, I'll defend that right now. Through the whole conversation, we talked about bringing engineers, bringing design, getting everybody to understand. I think a lot of what we do with this is getting people to understand and giving them that context. So I, a little contrarian because I, I could have easily voted for insight to help prioritize and focus 40% and better understanding what customers value 40%. Uh, I'm going to let Dominic start with, you know, defending the uh, better understanding what, uh, what customers value. I mean, to me, if we don't understand, guys, we don't I, have bring to drop, I have to drop, guys. All right. Thanks, Clint. Go ahead, Dominic. Sorry about that. Yes, sorry. So uh, what I was mentioning is, you know, if you, you don't understand what the customer value, how can you bring value to the, to the business? I mean, that's how I, I, I took the, um, the, the, the question. Obviously, no. you know, I was torn with, you know, insights to help prioritize as well. But that was for me more process related. Um, mm. That's my take. No, and, and that's the Drucker answer, uh, right? The only person who can tell you what they value is the customer themselves, right? And so the only way we can learn that is by going out and talking to them. So I that I probably was leaning there if I decided not to go contrarian because nobody had voted for the the one option. Uh, but totally get it. May and Danielle, I'm going to let you guys, I'll start with May and then go to Danielle since we did it earlier in the other uh, direction. Uh, insight to help prioritize and focus. May. I picked that one because it's the outcome. Um, okay. Because getting context, understanding what customers value, the outcome is to decide what to do next. And that is the role of a product manager is to make the right business decisions. Um, I mean, like, and to help provide context and whatnot, right? But like, <laughs> at the end of the day, we still need to make those decisions, make the right decisions and back them up and convince people that this is the right decisions. Um, and so I think that insight to help prioritize and focus is the outcome of market discovery but everything else is also really nice as well I, okay i can I, I like that i like that a lot danielle what do you have to add short and sweet everything that may just said it all rolls up into insight to help prioritize and focus all right i love it and, and that comes upstream from some of the other stuff too right i guess finding new problems to solve is even more upstream from that but uh, it's the true outcome in the forward. Clay, you also voted there. You've been clapping. You've been nodding your head. Anything to add to May since Danielle just said what she said? Nope, she said it all. For once, I'll be quiet. All right. Uh, now I got, I got some other people who hadn't voted or at least hadn't voted before I pulled this clip. I'm going to start with you, Steve. Where would you go? You are Steve. I was looking around to see if somebody else was calling Steve. You never call on me. Uh, I'm going to choose it depends other or whatever the last option is, which I generally do not do. 
And I will say the, uh, uh, the answer is that market information is the source of product management credibility. Oh, okay. Otherwise, what's your value? You know, I used to say to my kids, you want to be close to one of two things. You either want to be close to the product or you want to be close to the customer. And product managers are often not either of those. It should be both. Perhaps. But I mean, every if, if you went into a room and said, the product manager knows more about the product than anyone, I think you'd have a big argument. Mm -hmm. Go in and say, the product manager should be the expert on the market. At first, people go, well, isn't sales expert on the market? And my question is, are they? Or are they expert in the two deals they're working right now? Well, and, and with that in mind, Steve, having that credibility helps people follow your prioritization and focus. All uh, Absolutely true. I mean, all the other things are true as well. I mean, yeah. one of the columns of our prioritization scheme is evidence, right? You know, who has this problem? And the number needs to be greater than zero. Yeah. No, I get it. Saeed, where would you go? Oh, there, there should have been an all of the above answer. Well, I would not, we, we, we don't do that because we want people to make a, a point. And uh, yes, all of the above. I agree. Yeah. If you're uh, going to pick one. Okay. I, I can't really read them. So oh. I, I'm not sure which one is which. Um, Finding new problems to solve, better understanding what customers value, providing context to the organization, insight to help prioritize and focus. Uh, if I have to choose, it's it's the last one. Um, insight to help prioritize and focus. I, I, I just think, like, quite honestly, it's to me, and I think back of when I used to work as a product manager, like, it was just, it was like oxygen. Like, how can I do my job without this? Mm -hmm. Like, otherwise, I'm just twiddling my thumbs or guessing or listening to others. And it, it just, it just makes no sense at all. Like, no, I, it's almost a yin and yang with Steve's, right? It's the credibility we have, but it's also the lifeblood, the oxygen uh, we need to do our job. So I love it. Uh, Dutch. I'm, I'm going to go with the customer value because we're saying what, what provides the most value. Understanding what customers value lends all the rest of these things to happen. So like Saeed said, there's an all of the above, but what provides the most if you don't understand the customer value, then all the other things are moot. So I don't know if you chose that just to be provocative to make it tie again, since I had gone with one and it broke the tie, you tied it. But DJ, that means you get to be potentially the tiebreaker or you get to go off book and pick one of the ones that's not the top two. No, I would, I would agree with what Dutch said. I, I was thinking of this in terms of like a pyramid. And so understanding customer value identifies new problems to be solved, which then can be contextualized within your organization, which then can be prioritized, planned, and delivered. So I see that as you know, sort of the tip of the spear here. You know, there's a couple of people uh, who've always done this thing. Paul Hatala always does it, where shows that there's actually connection to all of these, right? I think in looking at the pyramid, there was an interesting way to do that. So we talk about that. We've got, a, I, I actually get to get to a question uh, and this is just a simple question. Why do you think people do not get the value of market discovery, right? So many companies we talk to don't do it. So many people in the organization don't want it. Why do they not get the value? You don't I'm know what you don't know. 
And it's easy to live in that world? Just live in yeah. my vacuum? The less DJ. you know, the more confident you can be in what you know. As my island of knowledge grows, so does my shore of ignorance. Well, sure. I, I was going to say what DJ put in the chat of ego, because if you have that ego, then you're not willing to learn anything. So that, that's a barrier. Yeah. It's, it's ego and the arrogance of the company of we're the experts. We know what people want. I, you know, Danielle, it takes me back to our conversation yesterday. Uh, obviously not in this forum, but when we were talking, we were talking about imposter syndrome, right? Is part, you know, do you think that flows into this? People are afraid of finding out that they don't, that they've been wrong and they're, they, they, I don't know. I think there's a couple different things that play into that. Um, I think a lot of organizations start out really strong with an idea and a product and that works for a while, but consumer preferences, market conditions, all of those things change over time. And so it's really hard to admit that what you've been doing so well for so long might not be working as well now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, I, I think it's tied to ego. I think it's tied to being afraid of the unknown or, or not wanting to admit that things have changed maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it comes down to a lot of psychological factors more than anything. Yeah. Um, and, and just the fact that change is hard. So having to shift strategy, having to shift approaches, having to shift mindsets is really difficult for the average and probably in, in every case, any human. Um, it's just uncomfortable. So yeah. I think moving past that area of, of discomfort is is a big challenge. I I put this in the chat. Like I think it's really important that in product that we remain like insatiably curious and open uh, to new ideas, to changes, to shifting, um, because that's what's going to open up that that runway for us, that platform to shift and change and mold and adapt to things and a roll with the punches as they come. No, I, I, I completely and totally agree. We've had curiosity come up many times in these calls and I keep trying to figure a way to make a topic of the week out of curiosity and I'm not sure I figured that one out yet. <laughs> curious. Uh, yeah, it is very curious. Saeed, you actually, I mean, I think you nailed something when you're in the chat. You said there's no immediate direct penalty for not doing it. It's sort of like uh, you know, working out or eating right, right? You don't, it's the vitamins versus aspirin type concept. Yeah, well, decisions are made, right? Like, and, and there's no, there's no immediate penalty for that. There's no visibility on the implications of it. Was it a good decision? Was it a bad decision? Most companies don't revisit these things. Um, there's a lot of hierarchical thinking. Oh, well, you know, the boss made a decision. Okay, let's just run with it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's cultural issues too. Like, how do you, how do you challenge something? Like, you know, like I, I work in companies like the, the example I gave earlier and, and it was based on a, a true story, like, you know, challenging a VP on what he wanted to do. And I was, I was an IC product manager and I, I just said, if you got better data, let's see it. And he stormed out of the room, like, cause he didn't. And, but you know, you can't, you can't do Maybe that. Maybe he was going to get it. Well, 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 just long story short, he wanted to do a lot more than we were actually capable of doing. And some of it was not really, you know, very customer centric, it was more engineering driven. Yeah. And in the end, he went back and then we extended the release by three months so he could get done what he wanted to do. But it's like, okay, great. 
you want to extend the release, that's fine. Go do it, but not not in the previous context. Yeah. Right. But but the point being that the discussion was one based on you know at least from my perspective evidence, not opinion. And yeah. I think that's what I always come back to. But you can't I, always challenge that in the company. It's it's hard. No, I I, I'd it. like to add one thing about ego that I've observed is a lot of companies, and it took me a long time to realize this even happens. A lot of companies are successful from luck, but they like to think it was their genius insight. And so they, they're resistant to anything because the first time they consider that their judgment isn't 100% infallible, it just breaks, it breaks it. So it's more than, it's ego, but even more so. Yeah, no, no I, 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 I love to it. that point, uh, Clay. I don't agree with your premise. I agree with your conclusion, <laughs> but companies are not successful by luck. The first product is always a market-driven product. It is always informed by market discovery or else it never would have taken off. The oh, founder do you think created was something- do you think Twitter was informed by market discovery or they lucked out that the limit of 140 characters was a feature, not a bug? Because they were 140 characters because of the, as I understand it, because of the yeah, text. Because of, because of text. That's but it how turned out to was. be a benefit, not a feature. I mean, a feature, not a, not a, not uh, a bug. Yeah. But anyway, let's, I, I, we could argue that point too. But my, my point is most companies are successful because the founder somehow or another stumbled across a problem that he or she had that other people had too. And they convinced their spouse, hey, I might be able to do this real time. And their spouse says, you've got a year and then you have to go back and get a real job, right? And so they go off and they build this thing and it's a huge success. And what they don't seem to recognize is the second thing that you pointed out, which is accurate. And that is, wow, I was so smart. I, I am now omniscient. Right? All my other decisions will be equally valid. Exactly. Yeah. And then the second product's always a disaster. Uh, and then they change their brand and that doesn't make a difference. And then they change the name of it to X because what the hell? And you circle back to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a company here, there was a company here in Toronto and they had one really successful product. It was their first product. And, and I interviewed a product manager from there, he'd been there seven years. And I asked him about, because we'd heard stories about that company. And he said, in the time he'd been there in seven years, that one product carried the company. They had a second product that was marginally successful and they had over 50, five zero failed products. And, and, and the thing was all those 50, including the first one came from the founder. So like Steve's theory, I think is, is actually very valid. Yeah, and in and, and the right it, they talk about that a lot, right? They talk about how even the best successful companies still have a failure rate over 50%. Uh, well, I think and, it's important that we reiterate what Saeed said, which is Steve is exactly right. I, I just think, you know, we could just socialize that a little bit more. Would be that'll, become, that'll become our pull quote, Steve. That's what we'll lead the whole podcast with. It's just Saeed saying Steve is exactly correct. <laughs> it's well, the Steve and Saeed Steve. show. I said Steve's theory is valid. I did not say he's correct. <laughs> just May May quick to you before we go to the wrap up. I think there's one thing that we didn't talk about um, in terms of why 
it's I don't think anyone doesn't believe in market discovery, but there is a lot of things people come bring in from their career, their past experiences and their assumption about what their roles are. And a lot of the pushback against market discovery is this is not your job and this is not my job. Um, because mm. it is like sales goes out and talks to the customer, so therefore their role is customer discovery, right? Um, or like you're supposed to be working with the engineers, or engineers are like, I don't talk to the customers. You know, it, it's it's like if you go back to office space and it's the guy saying, I'm really good at talking to the customers. Like I talk to the customers on behalf of the engineers. Like that is that is, I think, what needs to break, what we need to change, that assumption that sales and people who talk to the customers will bring in that information. It's like, no, everyone needs access to that information. We can create systems that allow this to happen, but we need to address the core understanding that market discovery is everyone's job. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And we need to bring everybody involved. Uh, let's move to our key takeaways. What's the biggest learning or takeaway? Dutch, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, just like we said that the company needs to get over their ego, the product manager needs to get over their ego also. Uh, we understand what the value of product discovery is, customer discovery, whatever, market discovery. Uh, it's hard to communicate that to everyone else. And we just assume everyone else should get it because it's intuitive to us. So we need to get over ourselves and just figure out a way to tell everybody else and, and get them on board. Uh, thanks. I got to drop real quick for another one. Great, thanks, great, Dutch. great call as always, Grant. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Dom. Um, I, I'm amazed that uh, we still have this discussion and that is still an issue. 30 years later, right? <laughs> no, so that, that the biggest takeaway that you're amazed we still have to talk about this. Uh, I'll, I get that. Uh, Clay. Echoing the get over your, your ego, there's enormous benefit to opening, to getting ideas from everybody because then you've got multiple champions. Everybody's going to champion their idea. So if everybody contributed an idea, then everybody's on board with moving forward. Love it. Saeed. Uh yeah, I, I think I think you have to think it through, like not just, hey, are we supportive of it? Do we understand it? Uh, but how do we actually operationalize it and make it part of just the work that we do, right? The every day. It's like keeping the lights on. Yeah, it's it's not a special activity. I yeah, God, let's get there. I love that. Danielle. My key takeaway is that most likely we're going to run into some sort of uh, friction here or some sort of a, a barrier to be able to just do market discovery or you know we've got this idea in our heads that we need some sort of large scale budget or it's going to be a huge undertaking my key takeaway here is a piece of advice and that's just do it just go and do it um, obviously make sure you're following legal legal things if you need NDAs or you know if you're in a highly regulated um, industry make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's but just go talk to people go get the data go get the information and if people in the organization don't want to do market discovery shame on them but at least you have some sort of 
evidence to help back up the decisions that you're going to make in the product space. Um, and if people question it, show them the evidence. I love it. May. Evidence. Um, I think the, I really like the idea that the product manager's role is to do this. Like this is actually the differentiator between what a product manager should be doing and what, um, Happens in the day to day. Order yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. My friend Steve. I think product managers need to be better communicators. We should be telling our story at every opportunity. And in my in, in one of my early jobs, I sat down with my dev team and I said, you know, I want to do well here. You know, how can I contribute? And they're like, tell me stories about customers and their problems. Tell me about friction that they're encountering. Tell me about when they have to leave the product to do something elsewhere and come back. And I find the, uh, as I said earlier, you know, market discovery is the source of product management credibility. I go to sales teams and talk about conversations that I had with their customers and other customers. And they're like suddenly listening instead of me saying, you know, God spoke to me in a dream. And, you know, now we have this new product feature. So uh, be, a, be a better storyteller. Although if you were selling Bibles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, boom. Uh, and Steve, I'm going to actually uh, agree with you. That was completely, to me, the biggest takeaway for me is, gosh, we have to be a better, it's not just doing it. We have to do a better job sharing it, communicating sharing. it, telling stories, getting people to do it. And we talk about it in our product strategy class and communicating the strategy, right? Some people are data listeners. Some people are story listeners. Some people are process listeners. We need to make sure we understand that and uh, do a good job with all that. Guys, thank you for an amazing conversation. I'm sort of like part two on this market discovery. I do think it's incredibly important and, and it is the lifeblood or oxygen SIA that it's the, it's the source of our credibility, as Steve said. And we need to make sure we're doing it and getting better at it. And, you know, let's make it, as Saeed said, just part of the daily job. What's expected? It's keeping the lights on. It's not a, how do we advocate for it? It's a, it is what we do. And so if we can get there, it's going to be great. Uh, and next week, we're going to talk about product management and agile. Maybe this is, you know, I think there's probably a thread we could put between those. I know Saeed, Steve, and I have been having some conversations on that. Uh, but you know, it's it's an important conversation we're going to have, uh, and we do this every week. Monday, the question goes in. Wednesday, the poll. Friday, these amazing conversations where I learn. Uh, DJ Dutch uh, have already left. Dom, Clay, Saeed, Danielle, May, my friend Steve, thank you so much every week for making me think, making me learn and grow and see things from new perspectives. Everybody, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week in the community. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Product Conversations, brought to you by Product Growth Leaders. Product Growth Leaders helps product leaders and their teams remove the chaos from product management and achieve product success on purpose. For more great content and to learn how we do this or to join the conversation, visit us at productgrowthleaders.com. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us next week for another episode.